Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, welcome back. Good to see you. Glad that you're, you're making this trip with us. We are in Mark 6, verse 14. We have Dr. Rick Hunter and myself here. And we've got quite the section to go through, quite the story. Uh, we, we're going to try not to get distracted and run into the weeds. Because you can talk about Herod for a very long time. King Herod, I'll just stop and say this. Even the people of Herod's day looked upon him as wicked. wicked. It, it, they looked upon him as a poser, a pseudo-Jew, as a guy that marries his brother's wife, who kills his own kids, kind of like a Nero mm-hmm. character. Uh, so, really bad guy. When King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known, some were saying, John the Baptist has, raised, has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work with him. Others said, he's Elijah. Still others claimed he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, is raised from the dead. Now, I'm going to stop here. Um, again, <laughs> the, we ended off last time with me saying, these weren't simple people or stupid people. Every generation has a few of those, but as a rule, no. Herod, however, I truly believe was so evil and so paranoid. If you're killing your own kids and your own family because you're afraid they, they pose a danger to you or will in future, then you're paranoid enough to believe that God's coming after you and John the Baptist is coming. It didn't seem like killing John the Baptist was his idea. Um, he didn't hesitate. It doesn't seem, it looked like he did it. But I can't help but wonder if he thought, you know, those um, chickens were coming home to roost right now. So for Herod himself had been given orders to have John arrested, uh, had given orders rather, and he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Now, the story about how the beheading goes is going to come in just a minute, but there's a fascinating dynamic here. I mean, one of the most evil people of his age was Herod. Yet he was fascinated by John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. He liked to hear him, but he was puzzled. So Herod liked to, and there were several Herods. So Herod liked to act like he was a faithful Jew because it gave him more power and control. He was puzzled, a bet, because he didn't know the Old Testament. He didn't know the law. 
he wasn't like a Jewish man raised in the Jewish faith. He, I think he was attracted to John for the novelty and maybe be hoping he'd to get some sort of power or alliance with John since the people were following John. But I mean, this is a very complex situation that we've already got going. He's already given the story away because, you know, I killed him. Mm. Now he's back. But then we're going to talk about how he died. That's not the way we tell stories. So, by the way, that's a really important point. When you read the Gospels, they do not feel compelled to put things in chronological order because they didn't write them that way. They very often gave you the end and then worked you, your way through it. Or they put things out of order because they were doing a sermon. They were making a point. Happens a lot in Matthew. Um, but anyway, anything you want to, any background or any ideas you want to give us before we... Um, just kind of, of what they... When Herod is going through this, you know, and um, it, his realization, his, his psyche is saying, this man is really... I. He's really must be who I thought he was because I know I killed you know mm-hmm. him and and he's back. So what is going to happen you know to to me? Yeah. Okay. And, and this is a narrative of of the world. Um, if we see that thread that runs, if we kill God, we don't have to deal with him anymore. That was part of the philosophy behind the Enlightenment. Uh, um, in that part, for those of you who remember your English, your, 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 history. You know, your history and stuff like that, that enlightenment period and the kind of the renaissance that came to us, if we can kill God, we can get in control, you know, and do what we need to, to do. So we're, we're seeing some of it kind of how far back these roots can go. Uh, um, and then um, and then others said, no, it's not, you know, this is not John come back to life, but it's Elijah. And it's very interesting the names that they bring up in here, you know, he's Elijah or he's, or he's the other, the, you know, that, that other one we've been hearing about, that, that, that that's one. We have, and, and I think they may have tried to kill him, but I'm not sure he, he's dead either, okay? <laughs> and so, but they bring up Elijah, and, and Elijah is important because Elijah, it's important they bring up here because if there, if there's somebody a person you wanted to go to war with you, if you had to go to war, mm-hmm. and if there's a biblical character that you wanted to go, and I'm not talking about you know Christ because he can do everything, but, but if there's a human there, then you're looking at Elijah and says, you know what, I think if I got to go out, I want one, you know, one like him with me because he stood up you know, to the king, you know, um, he did the, he stood up to the false, you yeah, know, Mount uh, Carmel, uh, yeah. yeah, to the false uh, worshippers, you know, and um, I mean, and this guy was 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 fearless. Well, I, no, I put it like that. He appeared to be fearless, yes, um, you know, to us. And he, he said, you know, the the king isn't, you know, you know, Ahab. This is not, you, you know, and Baal is not God. This is that, and he goes through that whole thing on Mount, Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. and then deals with. With all of that, you know, uh, Ahab and uh, Jezebel, Jezebel, yep. you know, comes into that and then goes immediate. I mean, runs, uh, goes immediately from there out into the wilderness 
and said, just kill me, Lord. Yeah, right. Just kill me. I, you know, I'm out here. No, nobody likes me. I don't have any food. You know, I don't have, I don't, what has just happened? He, he left the, the highest of success. And it was like the expression, 90 going foul. I mean, he went down so fast and, and went into complete, you know, um, uh, just, just total. You know, there's depression, depression, isolation, you, you know, doubt. I mean, by the way, that, that often happens after a mountaintop experience. Mm-hmm. You can have this great, wonderful feeling at worship and such, and a half hour later be way, way down mm-hmm. and wonder, well, what happened? Um, I think Elijah would have scared me had they said he might have been a, Elijah, because Elijah didn't die. So we know he's still out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, in scripture, he's taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot. Mm-hmm. chariot. So he's one of the very few Enoch and Elijah you know, that go up like, Jesus did die but he came back. Mm-hmm. So still Enoch and Elijah are very different, different characters. So did he come back to judge Herod? Herod. You know, that would terrify me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you were talking about going to war with him. I don't want to go to war against him. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he can call down fire. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. And that's part of it. And Elijah was, says, you know, a man after kind of, we, we track a lot like him, but the, the message I want to make sure that, that we get globally through this right now across the world. I want you to pull into it how this person walked with God, but he went through some hard stuff. Mm. I mean, and it rattled, literally rattled him. So when, when you're going through situations and circumstances, don't instantly jump over on the boat that God isn't with me or God left me, you know, you know, or or I I the least and last he's put me is he does not leave his own. Uh, um, that is a part of this life. It is a part of the challenges of life, unfortunately. And everyone goes through varying degrees of this kind of thing. And so don't, don't let that lock into you because if you start making serious decisions when you're, when you're in that part of your life and in those kind of storms, there's a good chance those decisions are going to rattle you further. Yeah. You know, and then this thing with uh, Elijah is is he leaves out of this thing in the, this depression and then goes to make sure that a widow <laughs> that is hungry does not have any. I think she's on her last day of food. Yeah. Last leaves, make a little cake for her and her son. Yeah. That yeah. depression goes right there to take care of that need. For the Lord, it's, it's kind of like um, the Blues Brother. I'm on a mission from God. If you <laughs> if you have seen the movie, there's a movie called the the Blues Brother with John Belushi and a couple of other mm-hmm. when when they you know when they put the glasses on and start right. saying we're on a mission of God to save you know to save this this shelter you know for the kids and stuff like that. It's like he's okay. I'm on a mission for God. He goes there and takes care, makes sure she has you know the food when she feeds him. You know, with the last that he has, he said, okay, the meal is never going to run out. Right. The oil is never going to run out. And remember, every time that oil shows up, there's something about the Spirit's ministering power right. that, that, you, that we have got to understand what's going on. She has real oil, but there's something about the translation that brings in. And so, um, and so this is important because those, those stories, we're reading about John being beheaded, and inside that, that tragedy... Are all these stories of what God has been doing, just right. like He does in our life? Very yes. Um, on verse twenty-one, do you want me to read? Do you want to? Uh, read? I can pick up reading. Okay, verse twenty-one. 
Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She seems nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, and by the way, the half of the kingdom thing, that's an expression. expression. If, you, if you want to see the half of the kingdom over and over and over again, read the book of Esther. Because the, the King Xerxes cannot stop saying, I'll give you the half of my kingdom. Mm-hmm. If, if you actually divided it, do the math, but, but the, he wouldn't have had much at the end of the, mm-hmm. the book. Um, so it's not literally. It just mm-hmm. means name your price. What do you want? And then the wife goes, I want the head of the guy that's been going around there saying, bad things about our marriage and our family. Mm-hmm. Actually, he wasn't. He was just speaking the truth and they were in violation of God's righteous laws. Therefore, they felt attacked. Um, technically, they weren't being attacked by anything other than their conscience mm-hmm. and the spirit of God. John was just doing his job. Uh, it, it's kind of like you know, trying to stop a drunk from driving, going... I'm going to take your keys and they say, well, you hate me and you hate. Well, no, we're, we're just trying to help you understand reality. She didn't like it. She wanted the voice to be silenced. Mm-hmm. Um, I will just bring up, we still name a lot of boys, John. We don't name any of our girls Herodias. Herodias. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. But, no, uh, that, that, that was... Um... Just an, an excellent point, you know, that. Um... And then verse 25, look at the urgency, though. I, go ahead and read that. Okay, verse 25. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. <laughs> and the king was exciting, exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Well, you you get now where we get the expression to bring somebody's head on a platter. We, however, live in a very horrible time where we have seen uh, Islamic terrorists, uh, jihadists, behead people live on video, come across the border and behead babies. Um, It is beyond horror. But this is, um, you you don't think, do not think of this as the French guillotine. The guillotine, that big thing with the dropping blade, that was designed by a doctor named Guillotine, who designed it so that it would be a merciful, quick way to take life. Because hanging was slow, you know, the swords were slow, so uh, the axe, all that other. So it's supposed to be merciful and quick. They didn't have that. When you beheaded somebody, it was as ugly as you see, or as, as you saw with ISIS. Uh, whenever they 
slowly beheaded Daniel Pearl on video. Uh, and, and the again, we, we record these early. In the recent attacks by Hamas on Jewish settlers, uh, they wore body cams. And yesterday, and again, as we are filming this, it was yesterday, the Israelis brought in, I think, a hundred some journalist and said you need to see what we see and they took the video from the body cams of the terrorist and showed how they brutalized and such because Hamas people not only did it they sent the videos they would take the phones of victims call their parents and show them the video I mean, it, or post it on Facebook it was horrible these were, where did that come from? This entire concept. Uh, and, of, well, I got to do it. And, I, and by the way, there's another one. I'll just say this real quick. When I was a boy, they used to make movies out of Bible stories. Uh, and you, they, they never told them right, you know, <laughs> but they did. And when they came to this scene, it was always that Herod was seduced by his daughter's dancing. We don't, we don't see that. You, know, you don't need to add that to it. It's already a bad story. Um, but this is a terrible story. And by the way, this will shake the... the in other Gospels, mm-hmm. it shakes the faith of the disciples to the core. Mm-hmm. Um, John the Baptist in prison was even struggling with his faith, wasn't he? Or, alternatively, he just wanted to poke Jesus and say, get going. Because he said... Are you the one we should look for or should we go look for somebody else? So when we have these times of losing faith, we need to understand even the giants of faith did. But I'm babbling too much. I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> yeah, the, um, a couple of questions um, I think beg to be raised and, and answered. And one is why would a king, and especially a king as powerful you know, as he was, be concerned about what John was saying. Or his wife be concerned about what John was teaching. John couldn't do anything to them. But maybe his followers could, or at least interrupt the peace, the Pax Romana. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you know how Romans will come in and say, you're not not keeping the peace. Mm -hmm. I think that's why Pilate acquiesced to the crucifixion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was, um, see, that, that question resides in there. Even the, the power of God in this world is, it, sometimes we look at a preacher and we say that, that that preacher, you know, just preached heaven down to earth and preached like God. It is never in, in the person, no matter how, how good their skills are or aren't, it's always about God himself. And his and his word, and um, and it's that power that's working on job because the king, king is doing he's here is doing what he's doing you know he's living his as we say today he's living his best life you know killing who wants to kill Mary who wants to carry yeah. doing what he wants to do and then John John's out there saying uh uh-uh. uh no dude this ain't uh uh-uh. uh you know mm-hmm. and um, but he keeps listening it's not like you know, okay, but he's, he's listening, okay. Um, when his wife gets involved, she, she's saying, no, 
you know, you got to do something about this. You got to do something about this whole hair. And so even when you have everything together, maybe in a, on an earthly sense, there's still this part of you that's looking, you know, for this connection. And that's what brought, John brought into his life, the, this ethic and moral, because he lived a, a you know, locust and wild honey. He came in out of the world. Literally, he had nothing, but he had the hearts of the people. There you he, go. So he had the he had the hearts of the people. These people were following John everywhere, and John didn't own anything, you know. And he did not go to the best restaurant um, in town, and he did not say we're gonna have a party that is gonna last. That was not what he 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 didn't have the resource to do. He came in and said, "This is what God is telling me to do," and it rattled to the core the status quo, you know. And so, if we're trying to get to this point of a balance in our life and our family, if we're trying to get this purpose and meaning, you know, stuff like that, it appears to me that this is kind of lifting up the fact that you, the way that you're going to get there is through God because he's the one that opens those doors. He's the one that is able to pour into you, you know, to bring it a, a, about. And, um, you know, and ultimately, you know, Herodias said, you know, we've got to get, get rid of him and used her daughter to, to do it. Okay, um, I'm reminded of um, something that a, um, a, a therapist, a drug therapist, was telling me very early. He was dealing with a case of parents who um, were, they were very much, they were very much in touch with a particular drug, you know, uh, heroin is what it was, and and they they were on the drug. Yeah, they okay. were on it and lived in it. Uh, that was their thing. It they was more their life. To that. Yeah. They wanted their daughter to be able to experience what they experienced with that, and so when their daughter was twelve years old, they started skin popping her mm. with heroin. And then as her daughter got to her late teens, early, early 20s, she did everything she could think of to get away from that, get out of that, get that out of her system, out of her life. You know, I mean, she fought, she fought as hard as she could, and she couldn't, you know, and she finally, you know, gave up, you know, and took, took her life. And uh, and I remember him talking to the, to those parents, you know, his therapy session, and that was normal and natural to do what they did, you know. And they said, well, that's just a result of she was weak that she she did it, mm -hmm. you, you know. See, that that's kind of a thing of when we're moving through life, you know, the the, the circumstances of life, and you run into stories like like this, you, you know, um, where people can rain down hell and torment and stuff like that, but you don't have to go down, and then. You get caught up in those situations like a childhood or you bring your kids through it like he brought her daughter through this thing. What in the world, what is that girl going to ever do, you, yeah. you know, for people that are in and around life? What is her life? I don't know if we pick her up. I don't remember ever seeing no. anything else around here. But huh. what could that have <laughs> done? And what do we do? What does that mean to us and our kids? And how, how do we have to look at this? And then the question that comes out of this is, why would God allow allow that to happen and how could a God that is the God that you say loves us full of grace and mercy how could he allow that 
Well, that's a good... <clears throat> he didn't set this up on purpose. It's a good chance to advertise. <clears throat> if you go to Our Safe Harbor uh, on YouTube, you will find the last Sunday in October, I start talking about that. And then I kind of land the plane the next... After you've watched this, it's the next Sunday. It'll be November the 5th. Where we actually look at it square in the eyes and say... How could a God of love? And we fill in the blank. But you're right. This, this young lady is now ruined for life if she wasn't already. Uh, you think of parents that teach their children to hate the Jews or teach their children to hate blacks or hate whites. What are we doing? We're just ensuring more bloodshed, more pain, more in injustice for the next generation. You know, somehow we need to break the cycles of evil. You know, um, sometimes in the Old Testament, it talks about they will be punished to the second or third generation. Mm -hmm. But Ezekiel makes it plain that a person's sin is on them. It's not on the father or the son. So what does it mean? Well, I can tell you from psychology, it, normally when a family goes sideways, like the one you're talking about, it's two or three generations before we find somebody able to pull out of that and stop it. And they often are isolated, ridiculed, and alone. We call them the hero, but they do not feel heroic. They take, because their kids are now healthy, strong, but they took all the arrows. Mm -hmm. they, they took it for their family by saying enough family dysfunction. Um, this, I, would, I would tell you if you want to know more to, about the Herods, there's a lot out there. But I will also tell you it is just going to depress you and make your jaw drop. So you may not want to head that direction. We've got uh, about 11 minutes or so if you're ready to enter this other story. Unless you, you've got some more you want to... No, I'm you, good. Are you good? Okay. <clears throat> the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. Now this, what's it referring to? Back to the sending out of the 12. All right? Then... Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now you brought this up earlier uh, about they get tired. Jesus gets tired. In the book of Mark, I believe I'm correct because I've tried to count. There is more mention of Jesus trying to get away, trying to be on his own than there are in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and, and Luke. And I get it. Whenever I go speak somewhere, there, there may be a men's retreat, uh, there might be a church gathering of some sort. I always assume I will not be eating because you really can't. And this is not a complaint at all. People want to talk to you. Uh, people want to know more about what's going on. They want to meet you. They want to, they have questions. And so what happens is, you don't get to eat, and that's fine. But after a while, you've got to go rest and eat. Even an extrovert has to slow down sometime. And by all indications I'm seeing, Jesus was more of an introvert than an extrovert. But that might be projection of me pushing my preferences on him. But God pulling us aside to rest should not surprise us, because he did so on the Sabbath. He rested, and then he ordered them in Exodus 20, you remember the Sabbath. Build rest time in. And I do get emails, uh, Rick, saying, 
Patrick, you're working too hard. You're all over the place. And I'm like, trust me, uh, my wife and I, we find ways for Sabbath. We, we build Sabbath into our lives or we couldn't do this. Um, they go away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them wrecking, leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So not successful in a looking for rest thing. Uh, I'm sure it's happened to you as a lifetime minister, uh, teacher, and theologian that right when you're just about to go, an email hits or a call hits, and you have to deal with it. It's not something you can wait till tomorrow. And there's that balance. You know, how often can I do this before I drop? And I'm too weary to help anybody. But this person needs help right now. Um, I don't know how you deal with it. I know my, my wife works hard on me. She knows I love work. And that's so she doesn't, not upset at that at all. But she, she'll encourage me, you know, to go out and golf or go on an adventure, just drive somewhere or, you know, um, she's, she's the right woman. I married the right woman. But again, that's that two thing we talked about mm-hmm. last week. You need somebody there to say, um, we, need to, I, we need to move you on. My dad didn't play games. He didn't have hobbies. All he had was church work, and he felt guilty any time he sat down to watch a TV show. Uh, and that meant we couldn't either, because he had to get us up and working. And that's um, it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. I think that that, that is... It. Oh, no, please. They... Um, when I look behind me, and probably young, it's true for you, and for those that are, that are listening, I really want you to, to kind of reflect on, on this, is that this is part of the reason why so many ministers' families are torn up. Uh, um, yeah. it, it, it seems like, or in our minds, in our reality, we look at that family has to be the closest one to heaven that's in mm-hmm. the church, when in fact, for those who got to know them very close or know or either you know them now, the families were, were torn up because of the fact that, that so much of their life and energy was spent trying to make sure the walls got off, the lights stayed on, this got fixed, you go see this person, you go see that person at the expense of seeing your own children, you yeah. go take care of this at the expense of, of them. And, um, you know, and that that where because we're human. And so that that wears on on people. And so that the prayers come just as you know, I know, you know what the Lord is pouring into you and you know where your trajectory has got to go. And so you work in that and people pray for you and and do do. it. You know, you go. But we got we got you. Uh, um, But I want to, you know, bring in the the other people on the other side that are looking at you don't do enough. You don't do this. You're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And you have to, the preacher carries all the burden for whether a church develops and grows and moves the way God wants it to. Or if you're always battling with this problem, that problem. Because after a while, your brain just gets weary. Oh, okay. You're telling me 
I'm the minister or I'm this or that, you know, and this is the way we need to go, you know, and you're not following me and you're telling all the other members don't follow me either. Or you're telling mm-hmm. them over that and, you know, and your salary or whatever comes into play. I can't lead this forward for us to get this that, and the other because and you're not helping me. And that's part of the reason why we're seeing the, the decline yep. that has happened in churches you know, and the decline. Uh, the kinds have been coming for a long time. What has happened is the 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 downward slope of it has sped up, you right. know. So it's moving faster downward now, and it's all the stuff that's behind it because a person has to be rejuvenated, but they also the Lord also has to be able to do what He's doing through through them. So if you love the the Lord, you're going to have a natural inclination to let that come out. But if the fact that the people around you don't let it come out, like we just talked about earlier last week in the lesson, if they don't let it come out, where does it go? You can do more stuff when you're in a university lecturing to this class and those people come back to you. You know, we're studying psychology over here, but I, I, I declare that I learned something about it and I appreciate that. And you're thinking, why can't this happen in the, in, in the church? Yeah. And, and so that's a challenge, that safe harbor, our safe harbor you know, is, is dressing just by letting God talk, mm-hmm. by letting him talk, you know, and not the traditions like we last week in the lesson. Pharisees and stuff saying, okay, the tradition of the elders, you know, came in. As a matter of fact, the tradition of the elders had more authority than the scripture did yeah. because they, and, trist, and those were just rituals. And they were the gatekeepers. They were the interpreters of the scripture. Exactly. That, yes. And so they stamped their authority upon it. Yes, as you know, I know, because we both lived our lives, you more intentionally and intensely, but we both lived our lives serving churches, that there are always a group of people who have never owned a boat who are going to send you a list of the ways that you should be taking care of your boat. Mm -hmm. And people who have never done our work very often line up to tell us what we're doing wrong. And I'm going... um, you know, I always listen because sometimes there's a truth in it, but most of the time it's, no, you don't know this work. Uh, I remember once we had uh, a, a ministry and we put in, I didn't, but uh, the leaders put in charge this guy that was very, very, very successful in business. And he got so angry and fed up with the church like this because he would walk in going, I need you to do this, you to do this. You. And I'm going, these are volunteers. They don't have to come to just church. There are other churches. He couldn't get it. And his, he got so frustrated, he'd come into my office repeatedly. And i go, you're, you're trying to herd cats. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's not going to work. Uh, you, you, these people needed their time alone. Uh, we're just out of October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, in my old tribe, we just called it October. Cause you, <laughs> mm-hmm. And as you, as you understand... I saying all of that, I want to make it very plain. I feel like I've got the best job in the world and couldn't be happier. So it's not like this is a constant grinding thing. But even even us, we need to sit down and do something else sometime. But he sees it. And I love this. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now here's where I, as an introvert, am going to get a slap across the face. Because they came there to rest, 
the apostles now have a solution. Well, the crowd needs to go away to eat. So just tell them to go away to eat. Then we'll be alone. And Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. You know, something we say at our safe harbor a lot is love the person in front of you with what, they ha- with what you have right now. That's it. Don't, don't pretend that you were going to do something later or that what you would do if. Love people with what you've got. Love the person in front of you with who you are and what you've got. Jesus abandons his idea of resting because their needs are right there. And then again, <laughs> I love their response. That'd take more than half a year's wages. Mm-hmm. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Um, I, 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 I just love that. Because that's mine. I can, my, my, um, you're talking about preacher's families. And the preacher kid syndrome is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But poor preacher's wives. And again, we're, we're, we're working on a very male-centric pattern there. Because in most churches, the ministers are male. I'm sure this happens if the minister's female as well. Um, I, my dad would walk in the door with three or four people and say, honey, I brought these people home for lunch. You know, uh, pre- visiting preachers or whatever. She's running around trying to do miracles with baloney. You know, um, so I feel for the <laughs> apostles here. I mean, if, if Jesus turned to me and go, oh, look at all those people. You'd best feed them. I'm going to go, what? How? That's, you know, you don't want to tell God or your rabbi even that um, he's being stupid. Jesus doesn't ask us to figure it out. He just asks us to do it. And that's, somebody once said, um, if you see a wall ahead of you and God says jump, it's your job to jump. It's God's job to make the hole. Um, I'm not sure I have that kind of faith to jump at the wall. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to see those bricks melting a wee bit more. Mm-hmm. I, you want to say anything or you want to read further? What would you like to do? Uh, um, We've got, oh, we're about to run out. We have run out of time. Okay. Do you want to pick this up Let's next time? Let's pick this up, yeah. Okay, and sorry, I ran on too long. No, that's, we're exactly where we need to be because we, we, this is a lot in here. There, there, is, there is a lot. Thank you guys for watching. We will see you next week when I'll try to talk less and learn more. How's that?